Uh, come with me please to John's Gospel, chapter 1. Just reading the first uh, two verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, He was in the beginning with God. Let's just stop there. Now in the lives of the, those first disciples and the early church, it becomes very apparent as you read through the New Testament Scriptures that prominence was given uh, to certain things. Uh, we spoke last Sunday morning uh, and emphasized the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus certainly was a clarion call and the standard that the early church raised up. And so they gathered in his name and they went forth in his name. They preached in his name and they prayed in his name and they worshipped in his name and they gave in his name. They served in his name. Everything that they did was done in his name. However, there are other things that were given great prominence and played a large part in their lives as well. And the other thing particularly was the word of God. Again, you don't have to read very far into the book of Acts to see how such a prominent place was given to the Word of God, both in preaching and in teaching. Now, the Word of God, there are three aspects to it. First of all, there is the incarnate Word, the living Word. Speaking of Christ, of course, we just read that in John's Gospel Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now, W. E. Vine, a great Christian scholar, says about the word, word here. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, w. E. Vine says that this speaks of Jesus as the Logos of God. The Logos of God. He says that Logos was revealed is the revealed will of God and is used as the sum or total of the utterances of God, the concepts, the plans, the ideas, and the thoughts of God toward you and I and embodied in the person of Christ. And the Word was made flesh, verse 14, and came and dwelt amongst us. We beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was made flesh, embodied all of God's plans and concepts and ideas and utterances toward us was embodied in the person of the Lord Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 2 9, For in Him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so Christ was on earth the Logos of God, the embodiment of all that God was saying and uttering, his concepts, his principles, his ideas towards us, embodied in that one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears> How <throat> after, whenever Jesus left this earth and went back to the glory, <clears throat> took his flesh with him, when he left this earth, then the written word 
became the logos of God to us. The written word is the logos of God. In Acts 4.31, it says about the disciples, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What word did they speak with boldness? It says they spoke the word of God. What word were they speaking with boldness? Well, the word that they had read. The same word that Jesus had read and learned and memorized. Even though he was the word of God embodied in human flesh, yet from a little boy on his mother's knee, he would have to learn and memorize the scriptures, the Torah, first five books of the Bible, or the law, and the prophets, and the writings, including the Psalms. And so the, those first disciples would be familiar with those scriptures also. That was what they had read. That was what they had learned. That was what many of them had memorized large tracts of. But also the word that they had heard. In John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while being with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now remember that they didn't have the New Testament like us. It wasn't written yet. But they had listened very, very closely to Jesus. They paid great attention. And then when the Holy Spirit came, all the things that Jesus taught suddenly were coming back to their remembrance. Remember why Jesus taught it often they didn't understand it, didn't get it, but they get it now because the Holy Spirit, who is the revealer of Scripture, the author of Scripture, the illuminator of the Word of God, begins to bring back some of those things that Jesus has spoken audibly, verbally to them. It's coming back to their remembrance. <clears throat> And so now, what they had read with their eyes, what they had heard with their ears, is now deep in their hearts. And now they speak it with their mouth. It's good for us, for what we see with our eyes, and what we hear with our ears, be that through the preaching of God's Word or the teaching of God's Word, that it is hidden in our hearts so that then we can speak it with our mouths. And so this is the spoken word of God. Romans 10, 8, Paul says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And so there is a, a correlation between what's in our heart and what's in our mouth, we know that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so if the Word of God is in our hearts, then we can speak the Word of God, can come out of our innermost being. But it's got to be in the heart. And we've got to read it, and we've got to hear it, 
and get it in our heart, then we can speak it through our mouth. Are you still with me? Now in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, <clears throat> familiar scripture. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the very intents of the heart. Now, we need to underline that phrase, two-edged sword. The term two-edged sword is was very, very familiar and common to the New Testament uh, hearers. Those who heard the Christ and who heard the apostles and the disciples, they understood immediately what was meant by a two-edged sword. Of course, it was speaking of the Roman two-edged sword. Uh, there was all kinds of swords in those days. There was long broad swords uh, which would be used uh, for, uh, for slashing. They would be quite heavy and unwieldy, usually grabbed with two hands. Uh, you see those things in the movie Braveheart, <laughs> such things. Uh, but the Romans had perfected uh, this other type of sword for their warfare. And it was about a cubit in length, about 18 inches long, no more. And it had two edges, had it sharpened. And they were highly trained in the use of it. And it was a very effective and a very fearsome weapon, as other armies found out to their cost. Because while a long broadsword was used for, for a, in a slashing fashion, it didn't necessarily kill. It would wound and maim, but not necessarily kill. But the short sword was used for infighting at close quarters. And it was used not in a slashing motion, but in a stabbing motion. And with a stabbing motion, often it was fatal, even though those who were fighting against had some kind of protection, usually leather, sometimes metal, but there'd be chinks, there'd be parts that would be open. Romans knowing this, they would get in there close quarters and they would stab. And it didn't take much of a stab. How many knows that you could kill somebody with a pen knife? If you stab them in the right place, it doesn't have to penetrate that far. Get the heart or get the lungs or the kidneys or the vital organs. And so this was a fearsome weapon of war. Highly perfected by the Roman soldiers and was greatly feared throughout the Roman Empire. Now in Revelation 1.16, speaking about Jesus, it said, He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now that's a bit unusual, isn't it? Imagine the imagery. Christ standing glorified, shining as the sun, coming against his enemies, but not with the sword in the hand, 
but with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now the phrase two-edged is distomos. D-I-S-T-O-M-O-S. Distomos. It's two words in one, so it's a compound word. Di, D-I, meaning two, and stomos. S-T-O-M-O-S, stomos. Now this is really interesting. Because stomos comes from tumultuous, T-O-M-O-T-E-R-O-S. And according to Strong's Greek and Hebrew Dictionary, it means the mouth, a gash in the face. And Strong says, by implication, language. Ah. So this two-edged sword coming out of Christ's mouth is him speaking. Not a sword in the hand, but a sword in his mouth. And it's two-edged. He's saying something. In Ephesians 6, 17, where it talks about the armor of God, it simply calls this sword the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now the word, word here, Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of Spirit, which is the Word of God, is not Logos, it's Rhema. R-H-E-M-A, Rhema. Different word. Logos, if you could summarize this, there's a little bit of overlapping, but if you could summarizing it, Logos is the written word of God. Rhema is the spoken word of God. To summarize it, Logos is what God has said. Rhema is what God is saying. Specifically, pointedly, to you, when you need that guidance or wisdom or encouragement or strength or power, God speaks a word from this Logos to you by His Holy Spirit, from His mouth, from God's mouth, to you into your heart. Hang in there, listen to me carefully. Don't miss it. Then, when it's in your heart, then you can speak it out. And that's when it becomes a two-edged sword, a two-mouthed sword from God's mouth to your heart and then to your mouth as you speak it out. Have you ever been in that place where You've been in a tight situation, a crisis point, a difficulty, whatever, and you cried unto God and you went to God's Word and you, perhaps you're looking for a promise from God or a word from the Lord. And suddenly, as you're reading the Logos of God, suddenly the Lord quickened a word to you. A scripture, or even just a part of a scripture, just a phrase. It's, it, it denotes a quickening word where the Holy Spirit quickens the Word, makes that Word alive to you, and quickens you with it, makes you alive. 
Suddenly you're encouraged and you're strengthened and you've got hope coming again. Faith rises up and things are not as bad as they seem now because you feel God's on my side. God is with me in this. And that rhema word to you specifically becomes a word that you begin to speak and confess it and believe it. It's a two-mouthed word. It's two-edged sword. And something at that moment is released in the spirit realm that we can't see. It's beyond our natural eyes, but we've got to believe it by faith. In Luke chapter 4, Verse 1, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing and afterward when they had ended he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered saying, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every rhema of God. It is written. It's in the Logos of God. But when Jesus was being tempted, that Logos of God that he had known so well that the Father spoke that word into his spirit and he spoke it with his mouth. It's a rhema word. It's a living word. It's a now word for that moment at that time and that temptation and that difficulty he was facing. It became a living word, a rhema word, a now word. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, All this authority I give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, him only shall you serve. And you see how that goes on. He quoted from Deuteronomy 6.13. The next temptation, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6.16. So here is the devil and Jesus at close combat. Up close and personal, right in your face. Has the devil got right into your face sometimes? Up close and personal. Well, God has given you a specific weapon for such times. The sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. And it's for close quarter fighting. It's for when the devil is pressing us and he's right in our face. That's the time we need to take the sword of the Spirit and stick it to him. Jab him with it. That's what Jesus did right here. And he did it three times until the devil couldn't take it anymore. And he left until he could find a more opportune time, it says. He had enough of that day. Three times there was enough of that. 
Now, if that's the way that Jesus handled Satan, is there a better way for us than that? I don't think so. Is there another way for us than that? I think this is the, the way, isn't it? And so we have the spoken Word of God. There's something else about the Word of God. We have the authoritative Word of God in Matthew chapter 8. Again, these are familiar portions of Scripture to most of you, I'm sure. Verse 5, Now when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, no, not even in Israel. And I will say to you that many will come from the east and west, sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Here is a pagan man. <coughs> And he understood a principle about God's Word that you and I has yet to fully grasp. Certainly none of Jesus' disciples at that point had grasped it. And I'm not sure that any of us has fully grasped it either. Here's a man who understood authority. Knowing he was a man under authority. Knowing that whoever he was subservient to, if they gave an order, he would have to obey. No questions asked. It would have to be done. He was a soldier in the mighty Roman Empire. But there was something about Jesus that he understood in terms of authority. Heard about him, perhaps heard him, saw him, and realized this man has got great authority. Not in this earthly realm that we see, but somehow, some way that I don't fully grasp, other than I know this, when he speaks, things happen. Because he is a man under authority. And Jesus was amazed. He marveled at this. He marveled that this pagan man could, in a moment, in an instant, could understood, understood the authority of speaking God's word. I find that very challenging. I find it very challenging that a pagan man understands it better than I understand it. Maybe you fully understand it, I don't know. Maybe you're spiritually head and shoulders above me. 
But I'm still trying to grasp the truth of that. Just to be able to speak the Word of God and know that when you speak it, that all heaven will back it. That all heaven will move to make that happen. That's what that Roman soldier understood. <laughs> and then we have the creative word. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 3, knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then, that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now are preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so Peter is reminding us and his listeners that God spoke the world into existence. And when God spoke, things were created. And he will speak some other things in the end times and it will happen because he has spoken it. The heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for a fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, to God speaks again. Then something is going to happen in the heavens that is going to be highly creative that will be supernaturally creative in Hebrews chapter 1 just back a little bit Verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power not by the power of his word even, but by the word of his power, because his power is contained in his word. His power is commanded by his word. His word is the catalyst for his power. Does it not say in Genesis 1 several times, and God said... Let there be. And God said, let there be, over and over again. And every time God said something, something happened. His power was released through his word. That is the creative word of God. Now, if God has got all of that creative power wrapped up in his word, 
No wonder when Jesus spoke the word, something happened. He who created the worlds by speaking it into existence when he was on this earth, he spoke the word. And the amazing thing is, the unbelievable almost thing is, that that same word, not that we can speak words into existence, but that same word, if we can speak it, if we can say it, and we can believe it, then something can and will happen because it's creative. It's powerful. Somehow or other, the early church grasped this. Somehow or other, they saw it. Say, well, they were with Jesus for three and a half years and they saw it every day. That's true. But then when it came to the crunch, they folded like a pack of cards, didn't they? One by one by one. All of their faith, all of their believing just fled, didn't it? And they fled with it. But from the day of Pentecost, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, suddenly they began to believe again. They began to trust God's Word again. They didn't have Jesus there physically, personally this time, but they went in His name, in His authority, and spoke His Word. And something happened. Then we see in Acts 19, the prevailing word. Acts 19, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said unto them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe in him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, the, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning, and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the skill of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now Paul worked unusual miracles. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. 
And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Prevailed means overcame, was stronger, more powerful. This became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic arts, sorry, practiced magic, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. In verse 16, you see how the evil spirits prevailed. But they prevailed over those who had no power. Who said, who spoke the name of Jesus that Paul preached, but didn't know him personally, were not born again of the Spirit, were not filled with the Spirit. But in the end, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, overcame, was more powerful, was much stronger. Aren't you glad today that the word of God is a prevailing word. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. James 5, 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, literally is, prevails greatly. We are in the prevailing business. Some of you, I know, you've come here most of your life and some of you have faced massive challenges. Terrible challenges that many another person wouldn't be able to cope with or handle. But you prevailed. You prevailed. Your prayers availed much, prevailed greatly. You're still here today. You're still standing. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. <laughs> because you've got the Spirit of God in your heart. You've got the Word of God in your heart. And you speak the Word. Do you speak the Word of God? Now my late brother-in-law, preacher for many years. In fact, at one point him and my sister stayed with Sally and I for uh, quite, a, quite a while because they were between homes. And uh, many a time I came in and I'd heard him in the other room and when he was preparing his message he always, always, always spoke the word. You'd have heard him outside. In fact, he had a big, big voice. He had a big preacher's voice. He was a big man and a big voice. I asked him one time why he did that. He says, well, it helps me memorize it. He says, that's one of the reasons why I do it. But he says, there's something about speaking it. They didn't go any further than that. And there is. So if God quickens you with a rhyme of word, be sure to speak it. 
Be sure to say it to yourself, to the devil, to the mountain that you face, to the circumstances that has come your way. Say it. Speak it. You'll find that you'll prevail. It's a prevailing word. It's an authoritative word. It's a spoken word. And finally, it's a guaranteed word. In Jeremiah 1 and 12 in the AV, I will hasten my word to perform it. The New King James, which I'm reading out of, says, I am ready to perform my word. The NIV, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The Amplified, I am alert and active, watching over my word to perform it. Now, even though in the context that God was saying that was regarding judgment to come, but the same principle applies. When God gives his word and he speaks his word, it comes with a built-in guarantee. See, that's why in Psalm 138, verse 2, for you have magnified your word above all your name. And I keep saying to you when I mention that scripture, the reason why God does that is because a man's name is only as good as his word, isn't it? If your word's no good, your name will be no good. How many times have you said somebody's name and they come out, oh, oh your man, you see your man, you see your woman. Couldn't believe a word to tell you. I've had experience, I've been down that path with them. Their word is no good. So their name is no good. But God will make sure his name stands because he will not fail his word. He will guarantee his word. When he gives his word, he will stand over it. That's what he's saying here. Isaiah 55 and 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Hmm. Hebrews 7.22, By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. We've got a new covenant in this word. And Jesus is the guarantee. He's the surety. You think you can trust him? Do you think his word's good? you think it's dependable? Do you think he's faithful in his word? Yeah. think you keep it? I think so. We just got to believe it. That's all he says, just believe it. But all hell and the world, the flesh, the devil will fight you in trying to simply believe what God says is true and he will stand over it to perform it. That's where the fight is, isn't it? One of the great Psalms, and we'll close with this because It'll take you a long time to read this psalm, Psalm 119. But one of the great psalms relating to God's word is Psalm 119. And the reason why is because almost every verse in it speaks about the word of God. There was something about the word of God that the psalmist particularly loved. He lived 
for the Word of God. He must have spent hours and hours and hours and hours devouring the Word of God. I told you this before, but I was repeating, when I got saved, not knowing what my future would be, never thinking in a million years I would ever preach or pastor. But at the end of my shift where I worked, before you clocked out, I would have my little New Testament and I would go into one of the cubicles in the toilets because only where you could get peace. All in the locker room and there's no peace there. You'd go there and you would sit there with a little New Testament and start to read it. And I would get so engrossed that half an hour after when I was supposed to clock off, I was still in that toilet, still reading. Totally forgot all about time. And then suddenly I heard somebody coming and I thought, wait a minute, it was very quiet there. What's, what was going on? Everybody was away. That was why it was quiet. And my lift was waiting for me down at the gate of the factory. Where were you, Gaudi? Well, I, it's a bit hard to tell him I was sitting in the toilet reading the Bible, that wouldn't it? I said, I was held up there. I was held up with God's Word. That was a, but little, and I was marking little scriptures and writing little things and taking little notes. had no idea that one day I'd be preaching the Word of God. But I had an instant a love for the Word of God. And I read it every single day. And I hope you do too. Psalm 119 is a wonderful thing. It talks about the law of the Lord. It talks about His testimonies, His ways, His precepts, His statutes, His commandments, His judgments. So many ways to describe the Word of God. Verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Somebody says, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Verse 13, with my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. There's that two-edged sword. Verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. Verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 28, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. And on and on you go all the way through Psalm 119. Why don't you pray Psalm 119? Do you ever pray and then you get stuck? It only happens to me that too. You are such a super spiritual bunch. I'm ashamed to be in this pulpit. <laughs> Do you ever pray and you pray and then you just get stuck? You prayed for everybody you know, you prayed for everything you can think about, and then you just get stuck. Why don't you take a time and pray the Word of God and turn to Psalm 119 and start to just to read that and just, just read it as a prayer? And see how that stimulates you in prayer. That gets you going. 
And before you know it, you're quoting Scripture, you're thinking about it, you're meditating on it, you're praying it. It's wonderful. This is an extraordinary book. This is the Word of the living God. Devour it. Eat it. Live it. Think about it. Read it continually. If you have a difficulty reading, and some people has a difficulty reading, and find some way. You can buy tapes or CDs today that speaks the Word of God. Stick it in your car as you go along and just soak yourself in the Word of God. And then you'll find when you need it, it'll become a rhyme of word to you. It'll come up out of your spirit. God will speak it to you. Then you can speak it out. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your mighty, mighty word. We thank you, Lord, it is quick, it's powerful, it's alive. We bless you, Lord, it goes right deep down into our hearts. It discerns the very thoughts and intents of our heart. We thank you for its wisdom, for its guidance, for its encouragement, for its strength, for its power. We thank you, Lord, for all that it does. Lord, no wonder all hell attacks it. No wonder, Lord, our flesh fights against it because it's such a powerful weapon. And so we bless you today for those words that you speak to our heart that encourage, that lift us up, that quickens our spirit, that makes us alive under the things of God, that gives us encouragement. So we bless you for it today in Christ's name. Amen.